today we're talking about something brand new for Learn Smarter, the educational therapy podcast, the highly gifted student. For us, highly gifted means students with an incredibly high intellect and aptitudes, and we consider this a learning difference as well. We have a tendency to assume that when we talk about learning differences, we're only talking about students who have a lot of academic interferences from things like ADHD, dyscalculia, dyslexia, auditory processing, or even anxiety. Without a doubt, a student that is highly gifted often is highly complicated and requires a different individualized approach. Today, we're going to discuss the specific challenges of a highly gifted student and, of course, give you some ideas about what to do. Be sure to listen until the very end of this episode as we give away our biggest advice for highly gifted students who are struggling in school. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 23 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. In our previous 22 episodes, we have entirely focused on students who are struggling in some domain. We've completely neglected the other side of the pendulum. As educational therapists, we often deal with students who are extremely gifted. Very specific challenges emerge with this population. Today, we are going to discuss the challenges that are specific to a highly gifted student and how to help them demonstrate their full potential in an academic setting. Speaking of very specific challenges, Steph, you're having a challenging morning. (laughs) (laughs) I am having a challenging morning, you guys. I'm sorry. I just got home from an epic weekend of going to adult summer camp, and I'm really tired today, so I apologize in advance. Steph, do you have pictures from this weekend at grown-up camp? Not yet, because they tell you to keep your phone in your cabin. So they give out the pictures that they take professionally. They want the professional people to take the pictures. So those come out in about two weeks. So do I. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's a really fair statement. Yeah. But a lot of people, like, lose their phones or they end up drop getting them in the pool drop them in the pool or like during an activity that they get stepped on then so yeah so I don't have anything yet but I'll share something cool when it comes out so that was my whole point we didn't talk about this before but we really enjoy sharing these personal photos with you guys if you have not signed up for our email list which if you were on it before you've seen some photos from my wedding but if you haven't signed up for our email list and you want to see some pics of stuff at grown-up camp as I call it is that what it's called <laughs> it's called camp no counselors okay but we call it grown-up camp yeah you and I yeah <laughs> be sure to join that email list we also give away some free tips and tricks and strategies that you're not going to find here on the podcast so be sure to join our community that way So, Steph, what do we mean when we're talking about a highly gifted student? So I think it's important to add with the highly gifted student that there's a lot of people that have different definitions of highly gifted. And one of the main things that you think of with highly gifted is a high IQ, but it's not always just a high IQ. They have an aptitude for processing new information that is very special. 
And their ability to retain information over the long term is usually very, very good. Now, we want to add that not every child is highly gifted. Even though all our children are extremely special individuals, it is very unique to have a highly gifted child. In fact, Steph and I agree that raising a highly gifted child and truthfully a low-functioning child are probably the hardest zone to be in as a parent. We always talk about that we would like an average, typical child because it's just the world is set up for that kind of happy medium. And they're a little easier to raise. But there are some real gifts and talents that highly gifted children offer. But there's also some significant academic challenges that can emerge as a result of being a highly gifted student, which is what we're going to talk about today. We should also add that this episode was specifically requested by a listener. And if you have requests for future episodes, email us. We're responding to you and taking action on the things that you guys are asking us to talk about. Steph, what would you add? Yeah, I was just going to add that it comes up in an academic setting with a highly gifted student, but also know that it comes up socially. And I think people don't realize that. Yes. That socially there can be some discrepancies between what their wavelength is versus their peers. So I think that's important to note. It's funny that you said discrepancies. In my head as you were talking, I was going to say incongruencies, right? (laughs) You and I were on the same wavelength in that little talk right there. I like it. I like it. Okay. So why do the challenges emerge with students who are highly gifted? So here's the biggest thing. Up until the point where they start to struggle, they have been able to rely solely on their intelligence and never learn academic skills. These are things like note-taking, studying, calendaring, writing, math skills, etc. And the thing is that they usually do well until middle school. Sometimes I get high school. Mm -hmm. But up until the point where they start to struggle, they're the kids that thrive. They're the kids that do so well and don't have to study and don't have to do all the things that all the other kids have to do. So this is really important, I feel, for parents to understand. With a highly gifted student, they put in minimal effort and get a maximum output. Mm -hmm. This is hugely impactful later on because Steph's been using the phrase, when they start to struggle, they will start to struggle academically. They're not struggling with their intellect. They're not struggling with their ability to access the curriculum. They're not struggling with their ability to understand what they're learning, but they're struggling with all the other aspects of being a student. They don't have the coping strategies that other kids who didn't quite have their intellect and memory learned along the way. And so suddenly they're come middle school or like staff said, high school, they are really thrown for a loop when suddenly their minimal effort does not yield that maximum output anymore because school gets more complicated. Yeah. And up until that point, especially in elementary school, they love school. They want to be challenged. Sometimes they complain that school is boring or too childish for them. And they really love things because it's easy and they can take it to the next level. And then at some point, they usually fall apart. So one of the things that we hear a lot from parents, and this is a term that gets brought up with a couple of different learning profiles, but when we're specifically talking 
about a student who's highly gifted, the parent will often report that the academic struggle has started. That's why they're calling us, right? Mm -hmm. And the parent will report that their child is brilliant, but lazy, unmotivated, and usually very disorganized. I will just be honest with everyone. Lazy is a huge trigger word for Steph and I. Mm -hmm. We fundamentally don't believe that children are lazy. Our fundamental principle and belief about kids is that they want to please. And we often say that that laziness that's being observed, this is often a child who's much more interested in playing Fortnite than studying for school and then gets upset when they don't do well in school anymore. That's not laziness. These kids don't know any better because they've never had to do anything different. They've been very, very successful doing very, very little. And so now they're being asked to do something more or something different, and they don't quite know how to cope. When we hear that word lazy, we want to be very mindful to kind of reframe it for you and to reframe it for the parents who are calling us because we wouldn't want to be called lazy and these kids don't know any different. They've been able to get by on their intellect and have never had to have compensatory strategies that support their learning. Steph, what would you add? I was going to say, think about when there's a task or something that you don't want to do and you haven't had to do it in the past. And if someone were sitting there over you, judging you about it, saying, yeah, you're being lazy, really think about why you aren't doing it. It's because A, you don't know how to do it, or B, it's hard. So right, that word lazy is really just misused and it's too broad of a term. And that really should be used for people who know how to do something and just maybe that they don't want to do it. We think lazy is a damaging term. Yeah. It's a damaging term to label our students with. And we just fundamentally, we're not in your home. We're not observing your child playing Fortnite. Sorry to keep going back to that, but I have several students who that's a major issue with their parents with right now. But we also know the pure intention of our clients. So we don't want to go on and on and preach about that word, but we just want to be careful about how we're using it is yeah. our point. Yeah, agreed. So the next thing we want to talk about is self-esteem and the highly gifted student. And we haven't talked about this a lot yet on the podcast, but it's going to be something that's going to start coming up over and over again, I think. And think about where your student is getting their self-esteem from because their entire identity is usually school up until this point up until the point they start to struggle. And when they start to falter in school, because they lack the academic skills, they haven't learned how to do certain things, their entire self-esteem is impacted and they start to think of themselves suddenly as stupid because they can't connect the dots between learning the information, which they do understand, and their grades. And it's important to note that grades are not just about information learned. This is something that Rachel and I talk about all the time. Grades don't necessarily show what a kid or a student is able to do. And since there's no perfect way to assess a student for what they know, unfortunately, we have grades. So strategy, test-taking skills, academic skills, time management skills are all assessed in all forms of testing. Knowledge is just one piece of that big, complicated puzzle. So think of it like a pizza, Right, All the things to have a full pizza, you have to have all the different slices. And knowledge is just one slice of the pie. 
And you have to be able to know when you need to do things, how to do things, how to study for those things, and how to be a student during the school day and take notes and all of those things. And all of those need to work harmoniously. And up until that point, they have because the knowledge piece was the whole pie for those students. And now it's just become one slice. Steph, I love that analogy. So when Steph is saying up until that point, we're talking about that point where the student is beginning to struggle. It will happen because school gets more complicated. Executive functioning skills become more demanding. It's an inevitability. It's very, very difficult to coach a student up so to speak, when they're thriving academically in school? Why would they make any changes when all their grades in elementary school are fantastic? Because in elementary school, it's so simple. It's direct question answer. There's no analysis behind it. The amount of information that you're being tested on isn't that great. And there's not usually a lot of distance between learning the material and being tested on the material. In middle school and high school, That gap of time between learning the material and being assessed is much larger. The amount of material that you're being assessed on is much greater. And the format and style and types of questions that you're being asked on the test is very, very different. So that's why we know these students are going to encounter some sort of challenge. When we talk about self-esteem from these students, we're talking about that because this challenge that they will hit up against significantly impacts how they view themselves because they don't have the awareness and the experience that we do as the adults in their lives to know that the material and the style and the expectations on you have drastically changed. And now you have to do some things different. These students don't conceive of it this way. I hear from these students a lot that they feel stupid Mm -hmm. because their version of intelligence is not having to try that hard or not having to do that many things. Steph, what would you add? Yeah, I was just sort of thinking this in along the lines of sports because sports are very big down here in the South Bay and how some kids start a sport when they're five or six Mm -hmm. and then they get into high school and they're really good by that point because they've had a lot of years of practice, right? And one-on-one coaching. Right, exactly. And the kids that want to start a sport in high school and already feel like they're behind. Mm. And so it's sort of like you wanting to join a club, a soccer club as an adult, and you're a little intimidated because all these people have been playing for so long and maybe you don't know the rules because you never had to learn them. You were never interested in it or anything, right? So it's really about that learning curve and the minute that something gets hard and you change your outlook and you say, I'm not going to do it because I'm not good at it, that's where the struggle really starts for these kids. And that's where that opportunity for growth really emerges, right? Absolutely. The growth mindset. You're not good at it yet. Yet. We always want to add yet to turn a statement from a fixed mindset statement to a growth mindset statement. (laughs) Um, Have we talked about Growth mindset in earlier episodes? A little bit. A little bit. We'll talk about it more. All right. A highly gifted student is a highly complicated student that we both enjoy working with because we're combating motivation issues, self-esteem issues, and asking them to make a lot of changes. These students are so gifted that they're usually reluctant to change anything. And will often make the same mistakes over and over again or use the same approach over and over again. 
I would also argue that these are some of the more stubborn students that we have. Absolutely. And require us to be really firm and kind of strong in our convictions of how they're going to do things. I cannot tell you how often I make an agreement with a highly gifted student that we're going to try things my way for two weeks because they can tolerate two weeks because then their expectation is they're going to go back to doing it the way that they wanted to do it before. So they'll give me my way for two weeks and then we put it on the calendar and we agree we're going to come back and revisit this particular issue in a couple of weeks. And when we revisit that issue in a couple of weeks, even though they're no longer talking to me about it and we're no longer talking about it in session because they've just internalized whatever new strategy it is that I've given to them, I always make sure to close the loop because I know I'm going to have to negotiate that two-week mark with them again. And so I want them to know they're going to have that full circle. Yeah. But they're often, once they implement the strategy, they're quick to admit that it's better, but... It's hard to get them to implement the strategy initially. Very hard. This is why it is so critical to find an educational therapist or a professional to work with your child who is highly skilled, but is also very well liked and trusted by your student. If you're interested in working one-on-one with either Steph or myself, email us at learnsmarterpodcast at gmail.com. We do do virtual sessions, and we'll see what we can do together and what kind of connections maybe we can introduce you to the right ed therapist, or maybe you'll come on board as one of our clients to kind of push your child through this challenging zone that they're currently in. So now that you know what the problem is, here's some tips to help you help support your child or student. The first thing you want to do is start with validation. Yes, it has gotten a lot harder. Then identify one area that could have the greatest bang for their buck. Just like we always say, don't start with everything. It's not going to work. So start with one thing. What's the easiest or what is going to be the most rewarding? Is your child the one who needs a top-down approach, meaning you're going to have to start with planning? Or... Is your child one who would benefit from having someone come in and look at their study strategies and offer minor tweaks that would have a tremendous yield? Know your student. Start there. Then know your child's currency. Sometimes they just need to be externally motivated to make changes. Then once they have success, the intrinsic motivation can start to build. As we always say, success will breed success. Once they see the benefit of the changes, they'll be more likely to implement them in the future. One thing that Rachel always says is when you see a diet start working and your clothes are fitting better, you're rewarded and you're motivated to continue. That's not the best analogy for high school students, but (laughs) it's something just so you understand it. It's something adults can really, really relate to. Yeah. So. For the rigid child. So a rigid child, meaning unwilling to try new things. They're the ones that like how they do things. And it's everybody else's problem or everybody else's fault. Or when you ask them what they don't like about school, they say it's the people, even though they're getting D's. Right. It's the child who's blaming the teacher for their bad grades. We recommend the two-week challenge, which is what Rachel was just talking about. And we do this all the time. Sometimes they're strong and we have to be stronger and insist that they make the one change and implement it for two weeks. And now remember, the one change could be as small as a binder change 
or starting their homework at the same time every day for two weeks, or even starting with the hardest, least preferred subject for two weeks. There's so many different things. It doesn't have to be a huge change. It can be a small one. You can ask your child what they want help with. They may not know what they want help with, but some of them do. Some of them can tell you what's hard. And they might not be able to specify what is hard about it, but they do know it's hard. So some answers to this question could be some of the following. I want to get better grades, especially after I study. They want to have more free time. They want to spend less time on school. They want to hang out with friends more or do more social activities. And I think it's really important to note that Rachel and I are really on board with letting kids be kids and teenagers be teenagers. And that we need to build in fun because life isn't just about school. So it's one of the reasons why we always put in their planner. I go through with the calendar and say, what school activities are you going to do? Are you going to go to the dance? Are you going to go to the football game? What are your friends going to be doing? What one social thing are you going to do this weekend if it's that child? What were you going to add, Rach? I was going to say what you basically just said, that we respect the social lives of our students and we respect that time on their cal- on their calendar and we block it out on their calendar. If that time is blocked out, if you go back and listen to episode two on how to calendar, that time becomes preserved and our kids know that that's not going to be an opportunity to do schoolwork. So they budget their time around that. That's why it's so important for it to be in the calendar so that it can happen. And remember that social time is also a good opportunity to learn. It's hugely important. Sometimes I really am trying to help some of my parents work with plans of not taking away social time. Right. In exchange for grades or things like that. Right. I'm really big about let's talk about effort, not about what the result is. So if your student has put in the effort then they definitely deserve and without a doubt should be getting social time and do the things they want to do. Because if they're yielding a bad grade, then why would they put in that much effort going forward? So remember, we're definitely not grade focused or effort focused. This is the same thing as saying it's about quality of time spent, not Mm -hmm. about quantity of time spent. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes I will have a parent who will say they need to study for 75 minutes a night on this subject or some really large period of time. And we have to have the conversation from educational therapist to parent that if you make that demand of your child, you're actually working against our own goals of being efficient, smart learners. And how to streamline things. It shouldn't take 75 minutes. And if it is, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that's our point on this as well. So at the beginning of this episode, we promised that we would share our biggest advice to parents and teachers of students who are highly gifted. Here it is. We want our students who are highly gifted to build their own awareness about their own learning profile and start helping them to understand that the challenges that they are experiencing are not unique to them but rather what happens to students who are highly gifted. In other words, have them listen to this episode so that they can hear that their struggle makes sense and is routine for what Steph and I deal with every day. We see this day in and day out. And the kind of journey that they have been on 
while when they're in middle school and high school can feel completely unique and individual to their own experience, is actually what happens to students who are highly gifted to begin with. Remember, it's a marathon with our students. I always tell my parents tomorrow they are only going to wake up one day older than they are today. It's very difficult for us to not worry about what's going to happen when they're 18 or what college they're going to go to, or if the child is younger, what high school they're going to go to. But remember, they only wake up one day older. I love that. Than they were yesterday. I love that. I've never heard you say that. I love it so much. (laughs) When we can think about this as a day-to-day operation, it actually can help us relax Because we are so focused on creating and molding all our students to be these independent, high-functioning adults, we'll get there. I don't think you or I have any doubt that these students that we work with, all the students that we work with, are going to turn out to be amazing people who are changing this world because they think about things in a unique and different way. We're talking about having the coping skills to get them to that point and to get them to thrive in the working world too. They need all the things that we talk about on this podcast, but tomorrow they will only be one day older than they were today. And so that kind of helps us eliminate that anxiety. It is a marathon, not a sprint. We will get our children there. Students have taken a long time to get to this point of struggle. Highly gifted students take a long time to start experiencing academic struggle. Change will happen over time and not overnight. And please, please, we are a broken record on this. Do not try everything at once. If I could add one more analogy, Steph. Yeah. You're at the bottom of that staircase. Let's not expect our kids to climb that staircase in one day or in one session or in one month of ed therapy. It can take a while, and we might get to that third or fourth step out of 12 steps or however many steps are on a staircase. I have no idea. But what I'm saying is that as long as we make that incremental progress, our kids are going to get there. So I always want our listeners to keep that kind of staircase visual in their mind. I think you said it perfectly. Thanks. (laughs) So as always, Steph and I will see you in our Learn Smarter Facebook group, which is called the Smarties of the Learn Smarter podcast. That's a really fast and easy way to connect with us. And be sure to join our email list so that you can see pictures of staff at Grown Up Camp. You can find that list at www.learnsmarterpodcast.com. We'll see you next week, Smarties. See you next week.